Welcome to the next part in a series that we're calling, you guessed it, Born, where we're looking at some significant births in Scripture. Uh, there, there are several births recorded in Scripture that really fit into the big picture of what it means to follow Christ today. And we've been looking at those over the past several weeks, obviously ending up with the most important birth that occurred in Scripture, and that's the birth of Jesus Christ, which I hope all of you are there Thursday night to help us celebrate that at Millbrook High School, 5 o'clock, pick up the invite cards at the info booth as you go out and bring somebody with you. Well, today's birth story comes from the first book in the Bible, Genesis. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. The ushers will give you one. Those are yours to keep. Uh, We believe the words in there are true, and the words we're going to read today, we believe, are from God. So take one of those. You can look on the screen or follow along in there as I read. Well, this story that we're going to talk about today starts in the book of Genesis, chapter 21. Very easy book to find. Just flip through the first few pages of your Bible, and you'll find Genesis 21. It's the story of Abraham and Sarah and their son Isaac and everything that surrounded how he came to be. Genesis 21, beginning at verse 1, it says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When the son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. I mean, 100 years old. That's, that's a, wow, imagine that. She says, everyone who hears about it will laugh with me. And then she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I've borne him a son in his old age. Now, she's in about 90 when she's talking about this. And she's focused on her husband's age. You know, he's an old man. Oh, this is so funny. People for generations are going to laugh because this old man fathered a child. I'm so young, you know. And this birth story is going to teach us a lot. As we look through the details of this story, we're going to learn a lot about something we all want to know about. And that's the will of God. Who wants to know the will of God for your life? Who wants to know? Tell the truth. Come on. Okay, the ones raising their hands told the truth. Everybody else, you're reluctant for some reason. But we all want to know, what is God's will for my life? What am I supposed to do? I can remember the very first time that, that Cinda and I decided that we were going to do whatever God guided us to do. And we prayed, God, what is your will? And we had these options out in front of us. And in this particular case, it was, we had these ministry options in different cities. None was, it wasn't a right, wrong decision. It was, what is God's will? What does he want us to do? And I can remember praying and, and feeling like this is the one it's going to be. And it really wasn't the one I wanted, but I just, something said, this is what God's will is. So how do you discern that? How do you decide what is God's will? Like when, when you, those of us that are married, when you got married, did you, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're unlike me and you had choices, you know, <laughs> and, and you were like, you were like, like, which one of these shall I choose, God? You know, which one of these, these ladies, or which, if it's a lady, which one of these men am I going to choose to be my husband? And, and there's this school of thought that says God has a person marked out for you out there somewhere. 
Now, that sounds nice and romantic, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound romantic? When we locked eyes, I knew that's the person God created. When, when they were born and when I was born, God said, these two people are supposed to be together. That's romantic and that's nice. And my wife and I, we are definitely soulmates. But theologically, I have a problem with thinking there's just this one person for you. Because if, if you just have this one other person, and everybody else has just got this one person, and you happen to sleep in the day you're supposed to meet them, or miss class, or you don't go to the produce section of the store where you meet, whatever, then you've thrown off the entire thing for the world, right? And that's not how God's will works. That's kind of arbitrary. But how does it work when, when you want to decide, how, wh- where do I work? Who do I marry? What do I do with this money? Where do I, where do I, how do I deal with this relationship conflict? We all want to know what is God's will for, for our lives. God's will, it's not just one will. It's not just God's will for my life. God's will kind of has three parts. There's the part of God's will that's, that's the part that never changes. It's just God's will. It's his will. It'll happen. Then there's the part of God's will that has to do with his word and the way he instructs us to live. I heard one pastor put it this way. He called it the providential will of God, that part that never changes. So there's the providential will of God. God's decision to do what he's going to do no matter what. Jesus is coming back. Did y'all know that? He is. You read the scriptures, you believe Jesus is coming back. You don't even have to believe it and it's going to happen. Life is going to end for every person in this room, whether you believe it or not. Whether you act like it or not, it's going to be sooner for some of us than others. But it's going to end sooner or later. That's God's providential will that our time on earth is limited and eternity, well, that's, that's a long time. That's for eternity. It's forever. That's God's will. Your belief, your conduct, your actions, your attitude, nothing is going to change that. That's God's providential will. Things he's going to do because he's God and he can. Then there is God's moral will. That's God's instruction to us primarily through Scripture. The way God communicates on this is how you should live. For instance, if you are sitting doing your taxes, you do not have to pray, God, should I report this income or not? It's pretty clear. Don't be a cheater. That's God's moral will. You don't even have to pray about it. You don't have to ask. You don't have to ask, should I tell the truth or not? You don't have to ask. You don't have to pray about that. God's moral will that is that we are truthful and honest people. You don't have to pray about, should I be faithful to my spouse? Not something that needs to occupy your time. Because God is clear on how the marriage relationship should be. That's God's moral will. His will for our lives as outlined in scripture. But most people don't focus just on providential and moral will. They really don't even think about that. What most people think about is what I was thinking about 15 years ago, when my wife and I were praying, God, show us which way to go, we were thinking about his personal will for our lives. And that's the other part of God's will. God's personal will for the individual. And it's valid to seek after that. But most people just stop on the personal will of God and really don't go beyond that and try to discern what's God's will for my life. But this is a fact. If you learn God's providential will, what he's going to do because he's God, because just learn more about his character and who he is. You learn God's providential will, and you learn God's moral will. What's God's 
will for my conduct for mankind? How should I act? How should I interact with other people? If you learn those two things, it's going to be so much easier to discern what God's personal will is for your life. So if you start, oh, I just want to, God, I want to know God's personal will. I just want to know what God wants me to do. And you haven't even considered his providential and moral wills, it's going to be very difficult to discern and discover what his will is for your life. See, people have been dealing with this for thousands of years. When Abraham, long before this story started that I just read in Genesis 21, when Abraham met up with God earlier on in Genesis 15, he was dealing with God's providential, moral, and personal wills. Now, I'm going to read this story, the preface to the story I read in Genesis 21 about Isaac being born, because that started about 25 years prior to that in Genesis 15. Now, when I read, it's going to talk about Abram and Sarai, but they're also called Abraham and Sarah, the people I just read about, because God changed their names when he renewed his covenant with them that I'm going to read about from Genesis 15. So you'll hear me say Abram or Abraham, same person. I might get a little tongue-tied or Sarah or Sarai, same person. It just depends on when in their life you're reading about them. It's the same people. Genesis 15. The word of the Lord came to Abraham. See, I did it already. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. Now that's a story of how God made a promise. A promise to a guy named Abram. And he said, Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. There's going to be a great nation. When he changed his name to Abraham, that's Abraham means father father of many people, father of a great nation. He said, you are going to have a child. Now, Abraham, when this is happening, is 75 years old, 75. And he says, you don't have any children now, but you're going to. And he's, you know, in his human mind, he's got to be thinking, okay, I'm 75. Now, God, I know you're God, but hey, I'm 75. Things don't work like they always did because I'm 75. He could have done that. He could have kept asking God, what do you mean, what do you mean? But he didn't. He believed, well, this must be God's will, so it's going to happen. God says, I'm going to have descendants. I'm going to have them. God told him what was going to happen without telling him why. Now, if you have kids or if you are a kid, that question, why? Do, you, do your kids do that or is it just mine, right? I mean, why, why, why does it have to, you know, from, and they don't, it doesn't stop in the teenage years either. They still want to know why, right? And here's the answer. Abraham believed God because he said it. 
So, now parents, you got to cheer with me. Kids, listen to me. Sometimes the answer to the question why is because dad said so, right? Isn't that right, parents? Or because mom said so. That's why. That's all you need to know. We're bigger than you. We have more money than you. We get you we're your mode of transportation because we said so. Now, with my kids, I tell them why many times. But a lot of times, it's just because, hey, because dad believes that's what's best for you. And that's the reason why. Abraham believed God because God said so. And in our culture, that's consumed by knowledge. Consumed by getting more information. By learning more and more and finding out more and more and figuring out more and more. Sometimes you have to realize, I won't always know the why in life. I won't. You just won't always know why something is happening. Sometimes it's just because. Just because. And Abraham's dealing with this same thing. It's like, okay, God says this is going to happen. I believe him. And God said, I, I credit to you as righteousness. Righteousness, being made right with God. So he was made right with God because he believed what God said, because he said it. Even though logically, a 75-year-old man having children doesn't make a lot of sense. His wife, was about, she was about 10 years younger than him. So just imagine that today. You'd say, no way. Initially, Abraham didn't say that. He believed, credited to him as righteousness. See, Abraham had a legitimate question. God, I need an heir for my house. Now, that's not a big deal in our culture. But in that culture, still today, that's a big deal to have an heir to pass on your heritage to and your possessions. That, that was huge. It was really disgraceful not to have one. That's why they just looked in their house and picked a servant and said, okay, it's you. You're going to be the heir to everything I have. I don't have a kid, so it's going to be you. Nevertheless, Abraham believed God, but he got impatient. You just imagine. He's 75. Sarah, guess what? God just said, we're going to have a kid. And the scripture says she laughed. You know, she was like, <laughs> yeah, right, kid, I'm 60s. I'm in my 60s. We're not going to have a kid. No way. She was still laughing about it after Isaac was born. Like, how could this happen? And he comes home all excited. Honey, we're going to have a baby. We're going to have a baby boy. And they're senior citizens. But they got impatient because one year passes. Now he's 76. Then he's 78. Then he's 79. Then he's 80, 82. And they're thinking, okay, God, you said we're going to have kids. Getting along in my 80s here. And if I was worried at 75, hey, come on. In my 80s, I don't even think it's possible. So they come up with this plan that they're going to take action and they're going to take God's will and help make God's will happen through their best judgment. And his wife, Sarah, initiated this. She's still called Sarah at the time. And listen what happens in Genesis 16. Now, Sarah, Abraham, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. So Abram and Sarai, guilty parties, 
saying, here's this maidservant. She's got to do whatever you say anyway. She's a slave pretty much. Take her, sleep with her, get her pregnant, and we'll have a child through her. Well, you can just imagine how that worked out. You can just imagine after the baby was born in the house through the slave with the husband and the wife still, you can just imagine the tension that might have been in the house. There was a lot of tension. But you read on in Genesis 16. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So 11 years after God made this initial promise that Abraham believed, he's now saying, you know what, maybe, maybe I just need to go ahead and get this thing done. My wife's got a good idea, so let's just, this must be what God wants. But what they didn't understand was being impatient can cause me to miss God's will. They got impatient. They forgot that there was this providential will that they already knew existed. God's plan to birth this nation. God's plan for His people to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. God's plan for His word to be spoken to the world, not just a select group of people. They knew that. They also knew God had a moral will in this situation. Don't sleep with people you're not married to. That's pretty black and white, pretty simple. I mean, come on, how could you get confused about that? But they somehow forgot God's moral will and said, this is okay because what we're looking for is personal. I want my personal wants and needs and desires and feelings, my personal. So God, personally, We want a child. I know you want us to have a child because you said we would have a child. And I'm sure they had some twisted way of justifying this is God's personal will. And because they got impatient, they missed his will. They stopped focusing on the providential and the moral and only focused personally. And the same thing will happen to us today when we just focus on the personal. God, what do you want from me? You start doing selfish things. You start saying that God said things he never said. And you start believing that what you're doing is right even when it's wrong, when you're focusing on just personal will for your life. They didn't know that God's will doesn't always have to match up with my feelings. It doesn't. Just because I feel something, I mean, it could have been the burrito I ate last night. Who knows? But just because I feel it doesn't mean it's God's will. I feel it so much. I just feel it. I feel I feel it in my heart. That's what got you. Feelings what get you in trouble in the first place. I mean, you've thought you were in love before, right? And found out you weren't later? That ever happened to anybody? Oh, this is the one. I know I'm only 12, but this is the person. I know it. Only to find out later, like, the person's a jerk. I don't even want to be around them. But you were convinced God's will. So why not focus more on his providential will and his moral will? And that will guide you to clarity for his personal will for your life. So they got tired of waiting. Sarah says, hey, go get it on with my, with my maidservant. See if you can produce a baby. They do. They did. And they were outside of God's will. When God makes a promise, no matter how impossible it might seem, it will happen. 
And just when you least expect it, God provides. How many of you know someone who tried to have a baby, tried to have a baby, well, a couple, tried to have a baby, tried to have a baby, tried to have a baby. They couldn't have a baby. They decide, we're going to adopt a baby. And then a few months later, they're getting ready to have a baby. How many of you know someone that's happened to? Every service, a bunch of hands go up in the room. God has this way of fulfilling his promise. It doesn't matter about our circumstances and our feelings. God will fulfill his promise. And if you're a follower of Christ, there are some basic promises, some baseline promises God has made to his followers. And he said, these things will always be available to you. So therefore, when Jesus is talking about in, in the book of Matthew, first book in the, in the New Testament, in the chapters 5, 6, and 7, he's talking about, don't worry. You don't need to worry. There's things I got taken care of. God said these are going to happen, so they're going to happen. So I don't need to worry. But Abram and Sarai took matters into their own hands and forgot God's promise and forgot that God fulfills no matter what. Here's how it was supposed to happen. This is the way God had planned. He tells Abraham, Abram at the time, he says, you're going to be the father of many nations through the son that you're going to have. That son is going to come through your wife, Sarah. And Sarah is going to have this child. His name is going to be Isaac. And then Isaac, they didn't know this at the time, but Isaac, this was God's will, have a son. Isaac is going to have Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons, which become the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those tribes, the the father's name is Judah. This is the great-great-great-grandson of Abraham. Judah, a couple of generations later, has a son named, has a great grandson named Jesse. Jesse has a son named David, King David, that wrote the Psalms, most of the Psalms you read in the Old Testament. And then if you continue through generations, 42 to 46 generations after this promise made to Abraham, there's a little girl in Bethlehem who heard that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Her name was Mary. She was pledged to be married to a guy named Joseph, who was also generations back from the house of David, which fulfilled the prophecy that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, would come through the house of David. So here we are, 42 to 46 generations later, after Abraham gets this promise, God fulfills his promise through Jesus Christ that Abraham's descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky because anybody can come to Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a certain race, religion, country. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter who you are. You can come to know Jesus Christ. And if you know Christ, you are one of those descendants of Abraham that God promised way back over 2,000 years before the time of Christ. When God said your descendants will be as numerous as stars in the sky, you were one of those stars if you follow Jesus Christ. That was God's plan. Now, that's how it happened. Now, Abraham and Sarah tried to take, think, take matters into their own hands, and they really messed some stuff up and caused us to have consequences even today about 4,000 years later. Have you ever heard on the news when they're talking about the Abrahamic religions? Have you ever heard that? Abrahamic religions. Those are the three world religions that claim Abraham as a patriarch, as a father of their faith. It's Christianity, although you know we don't really talk about Abraham that much as a as a patriarch, because we just Jesus Christ, he's it, you know, you don't really need to go past him. 
But if you trace the lineage back, it goes back to Abraham. Well, the Jewish religion, they're going to go back to Abraham as the father of their faith. They're still waiting on the Savior to come. They don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. They're still waiting. But they go all the way back and they trace their lineage all the way back. Father Abraham, the patriarch of the Jewish faith. And all that goes through that family tree I just gave you from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to the 12 tribes, from Judah to Jesse to David, all the way down to Jesus Christ. But there's another line that came from Abraham because of his disobedience. And that was the line of Ishmael. You can read about the Ishmaelites in the Old Testament. The Ishmaelites became what's known today as Islam. So the Islamic faith also claims Abraham as the father, as the, as the patriarch of their faith. Because they believe God made this promise, descendants, numerous stars in the sky. Here's Ishmael. They became the Ishmaelites. A few hundred years after the birth of Christ, they write all this stuff down. So, okay, this is, they trace it all the way back up to Abraham. So you've got three of the world's major religions, two of which are geographically located very close to each other and fight all the time because they believe Abraham is the father of their faith. Now, in Genesis 16, God made a promise to Abraham. He said, I'm going to give you this land, Canaan, and it will be yours forever. And that's the Middle East today. So if you think about the turmoil in the Middle East, you've got two major world religions there fighting, killing each other all the time. And we think, why can't you just give up a little bit of land? What's the big deal? You know, just go on the other side and get some more. What if you believe God gave you something with all of your heart? Right or wrong, doesn't matter. What if you believe with all your heart? Would you fight for it? Absolutely. So doesn't it make sense? People are going to fight. They're going to fight because two of the major world's major religions believe through our patriarch Abraham, God said, this is your land. And it would be unfaithful to God not to fight for this land. It's almost naive to think in a generation we can stop a, a fight that started 4,000 years ago and hasn't stopped. All because Abram and Sarai said, we're tired of waiting. We, we're, we're done with waiting, God. We want, it, we want our personal, personally, we want something to happen. Yeah, I know your providential moral will, but, but personally, we want that son you promised us, so we're going to take matters into our own hands, and we are still dealing with the consequences today of what two people did thousands of years ago. But here's the good news. In spite of their mistake, God still fulfilled his promise. In spite of their mistake, 42 to 46 generations after he said this, Jesus Christ was born and therefore all of us can be adopted in the family of God and be one of those stars when Abraham looked up in the sky and God said, your descendants will be as numerous as these stars. We can be that because of Jesus Christ because God made that promise all the way back thousands of years ago to patriarch Abraham. In spite of human mistake and error, God still works. So, No matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing right now, God can still work in your life. Don't ever let the guilt of a mistake or a a problem you're dealing with make you think, God can't use me, God can't work, God, there's no way for God to work in my life. If he can take this mistake that we're still dealing with the consequences from today, he can take any mistake you've made 
And he can turn you into a person that truly follows his will. In fact, when you read scripture, it seems like the people who mess up are the ones God really uses. And the perfect people, God really can't use them very much. So if you mess up, you are right where God can use you. Yeah, there's going to be consequences to deal with. That's the nature of making a mistake. But God can still use you. God can work through us in spite of our mistakes. So if we focus on providential will, focus on moral will, God's personal will will be revealed to us. Now, if you keep reading this story, I skipped a lot of parts. So just start reading in Genesis 15 and read this whole story of Abraham. A lot of stuff's going on. But in Genesis 22, Abraham's about 113 years old. He lived to be 175, so 113, he's still like a spring chicken, okay? So here he is, 113 years old. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there. Love the sound effects, isn't that cool? Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. We could time that. Be cool. Sacrifice him, Isaac, there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I'm going to tell you about. Now get this scene. Here's the son that Abraham waited 25 years for. 25 years. Because he's 100 when Isaac was born. He's 75 when God made the promise that I read about in Genesis 15 a couple of minutes ago. 25 years he had to wait. Now the kid is a teenager. Maybe you're thinking, well, sacrifice teenager, I don't know, it's not, not that big a deal. I could do without one every now and then. Right? You know, seriously. So he's saying, sacrifice your son. So Abraham takes the son up on the mountain. And he literally lays Isaac out on the altar, brings the knife up. Angel of the Lord stops him, doesn't let him harm his son. And he provides a sacrifice. He and Isaac make a sacrifice of the ram that they found and they worshiped there together, and Abraham passed the test. Now, you think, how in the world could Abraham have ever gotten where he laid his son? There's no way I would do that. It's because Abraham was so familiar, because 113 years old, you've learned a few things, especially with the mistakes he's made. Abraham was familiar with the providential will of God. Abraham was familiar with the moral will of God. And he knew this is the son that's going to cause my descendants to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. There must be something that God's not letting me know. So God, I don't understand it. I don't get the why, but you said it. I'll do it. Takes his son up there and he finds out God didn't want him to kill his son at all. God just wanted to know how serious are you about following my will. And Abraham was serious. So how did he get from, I'm going to take matters into my own hands and sleep with my wife's slave, to, God, if you want me to sacrifice this child, I don't get it, but I'll do it. How did he transform from one to the other? The same way we do. We go through this process. This process, like Abraham went through the same thing. God, I want your will and I want it right now. 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 I don't want to wait. I want it now. Right? We're not a waiting culture, are we? We want everything right now. I don't even want to wait to get the office to read my emails. I don't want to wait to get this. So I'm going to just charge up, you know, the credit cards. I don't want to wait on anything. Now, I want it right now. But just like Abraham, people who become fully surrendered to God, they leave that after a while. And they grow up a little bit and it becomes, okay, God, I want your will, but, but, you know, everybody's got this 
big but, you know, and, and, and I want your will, but God, uh, I really want this stuff too, whatever it is, you know, the, the fortune, the relationships, the, the, the extra stuff I don't really need. I really want your will, but, so you have to determine what is the but in my life when it comes to God's will. I want it, but there's some other things I want more and I'm not going to give up. Abraham was there. We're all there at one point or another in our lives. Then he moved to the part of full surrender where he said, I want what God wants, period. Period. Whatever he wants. And when I was going through the thing in my life, trying to decide, do I move here? Do I move here? Do I do, I do that ministry or this ministry? And really earnestly wanting to seek God's will, Cinda and I literally prayed, God, use us with no strings attached. Whatever. No strings. No buts. No now. No strings. When you're ready to pray that prayer, you'll know I am fully, completely surrendered to God's will. And you will have discerned what God's providential will is. It's in Scripture. You will, just, you will discern what God's moral will is. That's in Scripture. And you will be so clear on, God, on what God's personal will is for your life. And you will discern that when you understand the other two. And you will say, God, use me, no strings attached. What you want, I want. In spite of any mistake that you've made, you can have that. You can start that process today and have it. If this birth story that's 4,000 years old teaches us anything, it teaches us that God will reveal and have his will in our lives in spite of our mistakes. Let's pray. God, as we just look at your will, Father, we know that you, that you want us to know your providential and your moral will. God, we know you want us to know your will for our lives. And I pray as each person in this room seeks that will and tries to discern that, that you would give them the strength to do what's right and to know your will. Father, thank you for this story, this birth story of Isaac that shows us your plan. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.